I'm in my 50s. I grew up with vinyl records. Vinyl was where it was at. CDs didn't even exist yet. And I was a records guy. The album experience is sort of phenomenological. It, it anchors you to time and space. since the late 80s there's been a split in my loyalties um, CDs versus vinyl essentially when CDs were new and I finally started to adopt that format uh, I started to replace some of my old vinyl and get rid of vinyl and replace it with CDs and then that, that's a decision I came to regret and uh, and then, you know, ever since I've been reacquiring records, slowly but surely, of, you know, favorite records from artists that I, I like to have most of their albums. I'm in this situation where I have the CD version of an album and the LP, and I'm interested in maintaining both. And I don't really want to get rid of them. Um, but what has happened lately, and, you know, if you start to do that, then you start to uh, run out of room in your house. You hit space limitations, and, and I have to decide what do I want to get rid of, what do I not need anymore, what I am, what am I not attached to, and I need to create space, save space. What can I sell to, to earn funds that can maybe buy new records and CDs? Um, what what do I want on physical medium versus what do I not need on a physical medium, but I still want to have available for streaming so you should have to curate your Spotify album collection and artist collection and playlists uh, so it's like you're sort of pulled in these three different directions also like should I dump my CDs should I keep them should I dump the album should I keep them uh, so lots of decisions to make and it's complicated Is it just a vanity thing where you want to furnish your place with all the records you've bought so you can show off to people? What, what's the point of keeping them around? What's gained and what's lost? What's lost? You're losing grasp of the artifact. It flattens. I'm not so sure that's a good thing. I don't know. Can't have it all. I can tell some things up. You haven't touched your scotch. You've been staring out the window. Now you're staring at your watch. And lately, that's been happening too much 
sure what the right way to go is like if you get rid of products will you regret having gotten rid of them is there any point to it anymore why do we listen to music why do we collect music with any of this stuff. Nothing seems to make sense anymore.
like going all in on the digital virtual space kind of puts you further out of touch with the real world with it's like literally like space three-dimensional space you know uh, and geez like that's a problem anymore like everyone's living in their own bubble uh, and like the only thing that's going to exist is is this phone in your hand which just kind of controls your life and listens to you and like figures everything out for you and makes suggestions. You know, if you have a CD, the files are what they are, for better or worse. They're they're kind of etched into that disc. Think of it in existential terms, like it has existence. It exists in the world as a phenomenon. The virtual audio file also has an existence, but it's like transparent to you. It's it's there. You get it through a medium, through a channel, through. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know the future. I have hunches. I don't know whether we're going to have a replication of this phenomenon like it happened with vinyl where at some point in the future CDs are going to become retro cool and coveted people are going to have nostalgia for them or they're going to want to explore this new thing that like the retro technology that maybe you didn't even grow up with but you kind of like whoa these shiny discs that's kind of neat what is all this about and there'll be a kind of fetishism that goes along with that or I don't know if it's going to, it could cut the, uh, the opposite way where it's like, okay, this is the point at which physical media stop being interesting and valuable at all. And as soon as you get to the point where streaming audio is uh, indistinguishable from a CD quality or even better quality, then having this data encoded on a shiny disk that sits on your shelf, maybe that's beside the point. It becomes beside the point. Like, it just gets in the way. Here's a story from Rolling Stone website. 
Dateline is November 9th, 2018. The article is written by Tim Ingham. The headline, the album is in deep trouble and the music business probably can't save it. The deck sales are plummeting and the music industry is returning to the era of track-led consumption. Is the LP doomed? Make no mistake, the album is fighting for his life. Sales of music's most beloved format are in free fall in the United States this year. According to figures published by the Recording Industry Association of America, the value of total stateside album sales in the first half of 2018 across download, CD, and vinyl plummeted by 25.8% when compared with the first half of 2017. If that percentage decline holds for the full year, and there's every indication it will, annual U.S. album sales in 2018 will end up at half the size of what they were as recently as 2015. To put it more plainly, U.S. consumers will spend around half a billion dollars less on albums this year than they did in 2017. The CD album is predictably bearing the brunt of this damage after a comfortable 6.5% drop in sales in 2017. In the first half of 2018, revenues generated by the CD album in the USA were slashed nearly in half, down 41.5% to $264 million. It's not hard to see why. 2018 will go down as a landmark year for the acceleration of the decline in physical album sales. The likes of Drake, Eminem, Cardi B, Travis Scott, Migos, and Kanye West have all released hotly anticipated new LPs exclusively on digital services in their first week, all brought physical formats into play only after their record's initial sales rep was over. Hip-hop's biggest names, it seems, are actively turning their back on the CD and on brick-and-mortar retailers, instead focusing on the likes of Spotify and Apple Music, where their genre is currently the king of kings. None of this, of course, is a big shock. Back in 2014, you may remember Spotify co-founder Daniel Ek had an awkward public sparring match with Taylor Swift following the superstar's decision to pull her back catalog from his service. Facing down accusations that Spotify was cannibalizing the album, Ek wrote, In the old days, multiple artists sold multiple millions of albums every year. That just doesn't happen anymore. People's listening habits have changed, and they're not going to change back. He wasn't wrong. As we all know, the music business held hands with Eck and dived profit first into a streaming-led industry. Now, however, a murmur is quietly breaking out. In the rush to follow the money, the music business sacrificed something more valuable than it could have realized. Sure, hits on streaming services make a lot of people a lot of money, but as the death knell rings for the album and the music industry returns to the pre-Beatles era of track-led consumption, are fans being encouraged to develop a less committed relationship with new artists? The answer to that question ultimately depends on how those fans are consuming music on Spotify, Apple Music, et al. One thing's for sure, not all new music is created equal, and the stats bear it out. Take Drake's Scorpion, the biggest album in the U.S. market this year, in a clear bid to rack up as many streams possible and break multiple records in the process. Scorpion is 25 tracks long, yet... According to numbers I've obtained and crunched from Spotify monitoring site Corb, 
some 63% of global streams from Scorpion on Spotify since the album's release in June have come from just three songs, God's Plan, In My Feelings, and Nice For What. In fact, just six songs on the album, also including Nonstop, Don't Matter To Me, and I'm Upset, have claimed 82% of its total streams. The other 19 tracks get just 18% of the spoils between them, an average of less than 1% each. It's a similar story with the biggest album of the first half of the year in the U.S., Post Malone's Beer Bongs and Bentleys, from which just three tracks, Rockstar, Psycho, and Better Now, account for 62% of worldwide Spotify streams. You could argue that things have always been this way, that fans in previous eras would buy albums and then simply rinse and repeat their favorite individual tracks, ignoring what they deem to be duds. Additionally, you could argue that streaming has been wonderful news for the album. Any fan anywhere in the world can now legally consume albums for free via Spotify, rather than shelling out a potentially prohibitive expense on CDs or downloads. If the experience of listening to full albums was compelling enough in 2018, therefore, the format should be thriving. Yet industry machinery has certainly propagated this dismantling of the LP, the Billboard 200, still the most recognized album chart in the world, has since December 2014 bundled together streams of individual tracks from an LP as, quote, streaming equivalent albums, end quote. Billboard's current, much-debated formula, 1,250 paid-for streams from the likes of Apple Music or Spotify Premium count as one album sale, as do 3,750 streams from ad-funded services like YouTube or Spotify's free tier. This has led to some pretty odd situations. Drake's Scorpion, for instance, sold 160,000 true album units via download sites in its opening week. But according to Billboard Nielsen, more than three times this amount, 551,000, came via streaming equivalent albums. In Scorpion's second week on the Billboard 200, the potential silliness of streaming equivalent albums came home to roost. The album sold, as in actually sold, just 29,000 copies on iTunes, etc. It nearly 10 times this sales volume, 288,000, was cobbled together from single track streams. The music industry is facing a bit of an existential crisis then. How can something, streaming, be considered the equivalent of something else, an album sale, when by your own measure, the former now completely dominates the latter? In 2018, streaming equivalent albums seems like daft phrasing. It is email equivalent faxes. It is car equivalent steeds. It is Netflix equivalent Betamax. The death of the album track, if not the album itself, is having a significant commercial impact. Lucas Keller is the founder of Milk and Honey in Los Angeles, a management firm that looks after some of the hottest behind-the-scenes pop songwriters and producers in the modern marketplace. He told Music Business Worldwide this week that the days of his clients making any real money from non-hit album tracks are now pretty much over. Keller commented, I sit at a dashboard showing the publishing revenue across the board on all of my clients and I have a really good idea what track 9 isn't worth. The music industry is waking up to this fact 
and it's keen to arrest the devastation. On Saturday, October 13th, the UK music business clubbed together to launch a nationwide campaign, National Album Day. This was a big deal. The major labels via the BPI, the independent labels via AIM, the official charts company, and a vast network of UK music retailers joined forces to push their crusade to the public. It got wall-to-wall coverage on the radio channels of the BBC, another key partner. The idea was to ape some of the magic of Record Store Day, the annual initiative that sees a yearly surge in physical music buying on both sides of the Atlantic. Can you guess what happened? Despite everyone's best efforts, UK album sales fell slightly in the week of National Album Day. As predicted by Daniel Eck four years ago, the public is obviously growing increasingly comfortable with its playlist-driven, track-led consumption habits. The music industry, however, is starting to question whether it's quite so sure. And that, again, is an article by Tim Ingham, who is the founder and publisher of Music Business Worldwide, which has serviced the global industry with news analysis and jobs since 2015. He writes a weekly column for Rolling Stone. Uh, In the world of streaming, it's like everything in the world is at your fingertips. So it can kind of stress you out when you're trying to decide what to listen to. And it also is so easy to skip and change your mind. I, I like physical products. I like stuff. I like to, I like finding deals and bargains and discovering, you know, diamonds in the rough. And I like reading about, you know, different pressings and mastering and engineers and like producers and who played on what. And, and you, it's like history. It's like learning about an art form and really just enjoying that. I used to write songs all the time and make music and try to write stories and poems and I, I slowed down on a lot of that. And it's kind of a weird kind of a weird thing happening lately. I kinda know I'm not the person who would ever thrive in a streaming only world. Uh, other people would be perfectly fine with that and they would not want to have all these albums sitting on their shelves. They would think that that's completely idiotic. Why would you stuff your house with all this dust collecting garbage that's not needed when you can just dial it up? Um, I get that, but I'm not, I'm not that kind of person exactly. so much is untouchable it's intimate it's more intimate than it ever was before like your own little personalized pocket playlist and you can get to anything you want to on that. that that intimacy but it's also sort of transparent and it's not tactile like or it's, it's only tactile in the sense that your finger's swiping on a screen, but it's like everything you do is just like swiping the same finger on the same screen all the time. It's just the, the pixels change. And I find that pretty weird. 
age, our relationship to these media changes and adapts and morphs too, doesn't it? Some things become more important, some things become less important. But I would argue that the CD, there's a history to that medium. Wherever there's history, there's value, maybe it's worth preserving. And it's a beautiful thing. This actually was something that really was on my mind last week. 
I have like an interest in Barry Manilow's early records. So let's say his 70s output. Um, I have a, a pretty good collection of him that I saved on vinyl of the 70s albums. I then ended up buying his album Even Now on CD. And you know, it sounds okay. Listening to this Barry Manilow on CD made me think I want to have some other Barry Manilow on CDs. I had in my mind that I wanted to get his album, trying to get the feeling. Doctor, my woman is coming back home late today. Could you maybe give me something? Cause the feeling is gone and I must get it back right away.
here's a sign of the times with CDs. Like, where are you going to go to to buy CDs in a brick and mortar store anymore? I went into a Best Buy recently. The only CDs were sitting in like a barrel at discount prices. Like that's it. Nothing left. The few CDs that they're selling off. Clearing them out. There's FYE in Concord Mall in Delaware. Well, they sell some CDs. I went in there recently and the the bins are getting decimated. There were a whole there was about a four-foot block of, um, now we're talking just UCDs, but just empty. Well, it seems like they're not even buying CDs as much there anymore. Maybe you'll find a couple CDs in Target or Walmart. Um, there are no really chain record stores to speak of anymore. Barnes & Noble has a few, but it depends on which Barnes & Noble you're at. The Barnes & Noble in Exton still has some CDs. The Barnes & Noble uh, at Concord Mall in Delaware had almost none. Again, dwindling down. So this, this is a shrinking market. Like a popular artist like Barry Manilow, good luck finding it just coming across that as you're browsing any kind of store in three-dimensional space. I look for it online, trying to get the feeling. It was a big album. It had a number one single. I write the songs on it. Uh, I start looking at my go-to um, sites for browsing CDs. I went to importcds.com. I went to deepdiscounts.com. Uh, I went to Amazon. I went to Walmart. I went to eBay uh, and several others guess what? Trying to get the feeling on CD in the sort of remastered 1990s version, it was really hard to find. You could order it off of Barry Manilow's website. I don't know what their stocks are like. Other stores, I, I, tempted, I tried to buy it off of Walmart.com because it came up. And I put the order in, and then a couple days later, they refunded it and said, you know, it was out of stock, they didn't have it. It was apparent to me that some of these early 70s Barry Manilow CDs are going out of print. I ended up buying it on, used on Discogs.com for five bucks. That's including shipping. Well, that tells you something about the value of used CDs. But my point here, what makes me think about this is, okay, things go out of print and they come back. But here's the question. Will they come back? Will you ever be able to get the early 70s Barry Manilow on CD ever again? Is there a market for it? Do you really think they're going to reissue it on CD with the way the CD market is tanking? I really have my doubts about that. Do you really need the early 70s Barry Manilow albums on CD? But I I've kind of like CDs. I've come around on them. Now that they're cheap and affordable, like I've sort of interest. I'm, I used to be super resentful about CDs. I used to hate them because they were way overpriced. I just thought we were getting gals by the record companies. The whole 
reissuing things with bonus tracks and then you, they reissue it with remastering with new bonus tracks and they just keep coming back and coming back and making you buy shit again like I got really tired and upset and disgruntled about that but now they're kind of like the underdog I don't want to get rid of all the CDs oh yeah you want that album on streaming it's there no problem but what if you just don't want it you don't want to be tethered to the internet good luck as I pull into ShopRite to make a grocery store run I need dog food Listening to the Eshorama podcast. My name is Jim Esh, and I finished producing this show on Tuesday, February 12, 2019. It is show number three. The Barry Manilow music we featured on the podcast, there were four tracks. Where do, where do I go from here? Losing Touch from his Even Now album. And Why Don't We Live Together and Trying to Get That Feeling Again from the album Trying to Get That Feeling Again. The instrumental background music was by Captive Portal. The song's called They Went Shopping. Some of the monologues were recorded in my car while commuting to work. To and from. And the news story I read by Tim Ingham. The album is in deep trouble and the music business probably can't save it. That's from Rolling Stone website. To listen to more of my podcast, please go to the uh, soundcloud.com slash eshorama page or eshorama.com to get more details. Thanks for listening.